Welcome to Conversations with Kay, the podcast. I hope you are doing good wherever and whenever you are. I'm your host, Kay. For this episode, episode five, we will be talking about religion in today's society, the impact religion slash faith has on politics, COVID-19, and race in America today. My guest today will be my bishop, Bishop Allen G. Porter, from the Connecting Place at Greater Salem Church. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much, Kay. (laughs) No problem. Can you tell everybody about yourself? Well, I am the proud pastor of the Connecting Place in Charlotte uh, for the last 12 years. Uh, I'm sorry, for the last nine years. I've been in Charlotte for the last 12 years. And also the pastor of the Connecting Place DMV, which is in the uh, Washington area. And I'm just so glad to be a part of this great uh, interview on today. I am a husband uh, of Annette Porter. Uh, I have no children. Uh, I've been married for the last seven years. Uh, Wow, what else can I say? I've been preaching for the last 43 years and pastoring for the last 33 years. So I'm a young man. Um, how are you doing mentally and physically? Well, um, mentally, I'm, I'm stronger than I've been uh, in a long, long, long time. Uh, of course, we, we are coming through. We are, well, we're coming through COVID-19. And so I've had a bout with that uh, for a while, and it was tough. But uh, I thank God for my faith in God and for a strong community network of family and friends. Uh, I've bounced back, and I'm strong mentally. Uh, and, inter- and physically, uh, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm better than I've been in a long, long, long time. That's great. Um, well, let's get into the conversation. There is supposed to be a line between church and state, basically politics, when you talk about state. However, in the last decade, we have increasingly seen multiple presidential and local candidates began to campaign at churches, whether that's them coming to actually speak to the congregation on Sunday services or just having their flyers within the church. And specifically when we're talking about churches, we've seen this a lot in predominantly black churches. So how do you feel about that? And would you ever allow a candidate to come to one of your churches to campaign? Well, yes, uh, I, I've grown up in school with the understanding that there is a line between the church uh, and state. Uh, I've heard that so many times, but I think in reality, from my perspective, that's very hard to, mm-hmm. um, to really say and, and to hold true to that um, uh, because politics is really about people yeah. and people make up the constituency of our congregations and the policies and that politicians make affect our people in the pew. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that personally, I think it's important that politicians are aware of what affects the congregants that I shepherd over. And so mm-hmm. I would not be opposed to having um, a candidate come to speak to our people. And again, because I, I think that our people uh, the congregants should 
uh, be exposed to what the politician sees and feels or their belief system. And, and, and I think a, a safe place to, to hear that um, is, is, is there in the church. So I do believe that there is a, uh, a very thin line, if there's any line between church and state. And I think, I think that uh, that state does have some. Uh, now, I don't think the state should control the churches. Yeah. Let me say that, that they shouldn't control the churches. But as it relates to politicians being able to be invited to churches to speak, I think, I think they should be because that's where our congregants are gathering at. Yeah, and um, it's community too. Like a lot of people yeah. from the community, like you said, safe place. Um, the mm -hmm. church is really a safe place for people to come and gather, especially people from the surrounding community coming. Exactly. So I yes. do think it's important for politicians to come to the church because they're yes. going to meet the community that they need exactly. to serve. I agree. I so agree. I agree. So in late April, early May, a group of church leaders filed a lawsuit against NC Governor Roy Cooper for infringing upon their First Amendment right to freedom of religion through not allowing NC churches to reopen during COVID. This raised the question of, is the reopening of churches necessary to worship God and does the reopening of churches violate the Christian belief of protecting and caring for our neighbors? Thank you so much. Wow, that's a loaded question. Let me start, <laughs> yeah. let me start at this point that I believe that not only were the churches or religious institutions or nonprofit organizations affected by COVID, Mm -hmm. Every system, every organization, uh, every uh, industry was and is affected by COVID. So to say that it is an infringement on our religious uh, belief system, I think that's stretching it. Because mm -hmm. not only were churches closed, the McDonald's closed, and uh, the Macy's closed, and, uh, boy, um, Walgreens shut down. And for a while, Walmart was shut down. That had nothing to do with religious, the, the, the forbidding of religious freedom. It had everything to do with a health concern for the community. Mm -hmm. And so I personally think it was a stretch to, for, for that lawsuit uh, to find its way in court because it said nothing about worshiping God. And then number two, to worship God, you don't need a building. Yeah. You don't need a place. You don't need a building. You don't need a place. There was nothing that the governor said that you couldn't worship God or whoever your God may be. There was nothing put in place like that. So if you're saying that you can only worship God in a building, to me, that's an engraving image. Then that means you have placed God, you place your building up to be God. Mm. Because if God is who we say he is, God's everywhere. He can't be confined into a building. So I took issue personally with that particular lawsuit because to me, it didn't have merit. I think the judge sort of agreed with it, but in my mind, it had nothing to do with religious freedom. It had everything to do with the safety of our community. Yeah. Um, 
The second part of that question was, does the reopening of churches violate the Christian belief of protecting and caring for our neighbors? What are your thoughts? I think that uh, pastors and leadership of churches, I believe that their first responsibility is the welfare of his congregants. Mm -hmm. And so if, if the, if we cannot actually ensure that our congregants are safe in coming into buildings, we should not open up in the name of opening up the doors of the church. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think that, that churches should move, should move cautiously, should move slowly, should move prudently in opening up their congregation or rather their buildings for in-face uh, uh, worship. I think they should. I don't think it, 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 it's a lack. Again, it's, I don't believe, I don't sense it is a lack of our religious freedom. Again, it is about safety, guaranteeing safety of our congregation. Definitely. Uh, I just agree with that so much. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what this pandemic taught us, that the church is not within the four walls. Like yes, you can yes. really form a relationship with God anywhere and worship him yes. anywhere. Yes, Ugh. yes, I agree. And in and, and fact, um, if there's any good, if I can say that, that, mm -hmm. that is coming up out of this, it is causing people, I believe, to, to really take a look at their relationship with God mm -hmm. and not their church and not their denomination and not their uh, uh, religion but to really get in touch with God because you cannot go to your church, you cannot go to your religious institution um, and participate in your particular practices, but to get in touch and to have formed that relationship with God without all the extra, yeah. without all of the extra, is you and God and God in you. And to me, that's a precious thing. That's a precious thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. That was almost a word right there. <laughs> okay. Um, throughout the Bible, we have seen God bring means of destruction as a way to reset the world and to form anew. What do you think God is trying to tell the world with COVID-19? I know we just kind of touched on it, but if you have anything else you would like to say. Well, um, I guess um, I'm not one of those um, doom and gloom prophets, if you will, who espouse that God did this. I'm not saying that. I, I believe personally from my research that this is uh, something that is man-made and man-generated. I believe that, mm -hmm. um, which has affected us uh, globally. Now, I believe that even though this is man-made, I do believe um, that whatever is set forth, I've always believed God can still get, get glory out of it. And I think what this has done to, on many fronts, it has caused us to think. It, is, it has shaken up every industry, every institution that exists. Every institution has been shaken by this. Every institution has been shaken by this. From the families to the workplace, um, the medical, 
um, entertainment, every industry has been shaken by this. And I think this has also uh, caused us to take a look at what we were doing, what many of us were doing in terms of our profession. Because many people have had to go find new professions. And now this has opened the door to find the profession, to get involved in the arena that your passion is in, mm -hmm. rather than just uh, in, uh, in a profession because it pays you a salary or you get paid by it. Well, the money has ran out, the, the unemployment has ran out, mm -hmm. and now it has forced you to say, what is my passion? And maybe if I find my passion, perhaps I can also earn a living uh, with, with my passion. So I think it has caused, it has caused us to find our places. Number two, I think that it, it has caused the family unit to reconvene again back at the table, to reconvene again back at the table. When I was growing mm -hmm. up, the table was the table, the dinner table, that is, was an important part in our community. Uh, we, 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 we came to the table. That's, that's sort of where we all sat and, and mama got to hear what happened to us or, or my grandmother got a chance to hear what was going on in all of our life at the table. But life and busyness and schedules and all these other things forced us not to convene at the table. COVID has caused the family to convene back at the table because we had no place to go. It has forced some conversations that we have we didn't want to have. Um, it has caused us to have to learn people all over again. Mm -hmm. It has caused us to have to talk about things we always, we said we never had time for. Well, y'all, you had was time. It has caused us, I believe, parents to reconnect the children on another level, even though many parents were, felt like they were going crazy having to be around that child, that child <laughs> 24 hours a day. But it has got a chance to see what, as parents, uh, you've missed out on and to see where your children are. So I think it has it has shaken up all institutions, and it's, it's, it's having us to rethink and redo and take a look at some things that we have we've long forgotten about. And mm -hmm. so I do believe that even out of a pandemic, even out of chaos, God is still going to get the glory. Good mm -hmm. is going to come out of chaos. But we lost uh, hundreds of thousands of lives, and, and, and though the unemployment is high, I still believe good will come out of chaos. Mm-hmm. I feel that a hundred percent. Yes. Um, with COVID-19 and racism in America, we are witnessing so much death and destruction. People are losing hope and the will to live. What do you believe the role of you as a bishop and also as a leader and your church play in offering hope to people? Thank you, that, that's a great question. I believe that everyone uh, has their part to play. And I believe that we all want the same end. We all mm -hmm. want to see the best happen for our communities. Um, but I think all of us, um, we have a different part in playing how that is to be done. The first thing I think we need to do, in, in my thought, is not to discredit someone else because they're not doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I think we spend a lot of time discrediting others because we think that what I'm doing is the best thing. No, 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 no. 
The foot cannot say to the hand, you're not important. The ear cannot say to the nose, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not hearing good like I'm hearing, and so you're not important. I believe just as the, the anatomy of the body speaks to all of us having different parts, different movements, different purposes, so does our assignment in the earth and in the world, that we are many people and we have different assignments. But our end, our main mission is to ensure that we survive and that the best comes out of no matter where we are. How that's to be done, I think is different. My role is that I am, I'm, I, I'm a minister, I'm a pastor. My greatest responsibility is to be what I call a hope dealer a hope dealer. As a pastor, I'm not a, I'm not a politician, though I get involved in politics. Uh, as a pastor, uh, I'm not I'm not a full-time activist, though I get involved uh in the civil unrest. Um as a pastor, um I I'm I'm not a doctor, physical doctor, but though I become a part of individuals healing. My responsibility as a pastor is to make sure that hope is dispensed. To make sure uh, that people always have a reason to hope, to hope for tomorrow, to hope for the next day, and to provide that that cistern, that constant fluid mm -hmm. movement of hope. I believe that what I'm called to do is to be that hope healer, that hope healer in our community. So to, to help our young people, to help our communities to know there is hope and that we have, we have biblical references of communities and people who've been, who've been through tumultuous experiences and they've survived. And so if God did it then, he'll do it now. So I think that that becomes my greatest responsibility is to be the hope dealer in the community. Wow, we were um we are on the same page because in my head, like before you even said hope dealer, I was like, he's a hope dealer, like the church is a hope dealer. Um yeah. honestly, I believe that too, like the church and your role as a bishop and a leader, your role is to be the hope dealer out here. You're yeah. the person that's yeah. delivering the hope to people, yes. giving people yes. the word of God, because the word of God is hope. <laughs> it gets us yes. Yes. through the day. It helps us yes. have that will to live, and it gives us a strong foundation of faith. So the yes. fact that you're delivering it, delivering that to people makes you the hope dealer. Yes, hope that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, speaking of racism, we know that throughout American history, Black churches have been at the forefront of fighting for racial justice, specifically with the SCLC, which is the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and churches being used as a refuge and a place to organize nonviolent protests against injustice. Do you believe African American churches are still holding true to their historical roots of fighting for racial justice. I still believe that at the at the basis of our African American churches, I still believe that uh, in their own way, they are still uh, fighting, holding true uh, 
being that light. I still believe that. Mm-hmm. We all don't do it the same way, but I still believe at the end of the day, um, if we pastor one African-American person, then we have to hold true to ensuring that uh, all lives matter, and we have to hold true uh, that ensuring that Black lives matter. We have to ensure that. We cannot get away from it. We cannot become so affluent and so posh and so, the, 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 the lack of another word, so bougie that we become detached. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I don't care how educated you are, I don't care what societal um, uh, um, uh, um, sororities or society uh, clubs or industries you are part of, if you are an African-American person, the first thing they see is they see your wonderful black dark face. They don't know your sorority. They don't know your fraternity. They don't, they don't know your political assignment. People don't know mm-hmm. your, um, they, they don't know that you, that you come out of wealth. They don't, they don't know that your dad or mom perhaps is the president of a Fortune 500 company. They don't know that when they see you. When they see you, they see you as a black man or a black woman or a woman of color or man of color. So we cannot get away from it. Mm-hmm. We can't get away from it. Regardless of our economic status, we cannot get away from it. Listen, I'm a bishop. Uh, 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 God has been kind to me. Um, I, you know, I'm, the, the people have a great, a great amount of respect for me at the church that I pastor and in the community to God be the glory. But when I'm out in the city or I'm traveling from city to city, they don't know, they don't know that. What, who they see is another African-American man or black man or man of color. And I'm open. I am a target of racism. Mm-hmm. They don't know I'm a bishop unless I put on my collar, uh, my religious garb. They don't know that. Who they know me to be is a black man. Mm-hmm. And we got to remember that first and foremost before we say, because of who I am and what I have, I don't experience that. No, because of your color, you are susceptible to it. To me, that's reality. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I, I really believe the church hasn't moved away from their roots. I just think because there are so many other grassroots movements um grassroots really yeah Mm -hmm. grassroots movements um that are sprouting up and fighting for racial injustice with us such as black lives matter movement um gosh that's another one on the tip of my tongue but it's not coming out right now but Mm -hmm. there are other movements that are sprouting up and that are fighting for black lives and I feel like the church has kind of been pushed to the back burner. Whereas you see preachers out there because I've been at the protests in Charlotte. Um, You see preachers out there, you see um, churches actually come out there to protest in a nonviolent protest, of course. So Mm -hmm. the churches are still there. It's just that these movements that have started within the last decade they're now in the forefront 
particularly for bad reasons, but um, they've been pushed to the forefront and they're the ones who are getting all the recognition, whereas you, people think just because you're not getting that recognition that you're not doing it. Yes, but yes. the black churches are still out there, still fighting. They're just yes. not getting recognized. Yeah, that that that's a great point because because the black church has always been a part of mm -hmm. our civil 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 um civil rights. The black civil rights started in the black church. The mm -hmm. the, the roots of it started right there, as you so adequately said in the beginning, uh, that it started right there. Um, nothing happened within in the civil rights era. That prayer and, 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 and a return to God was not present among the struggle. Because what they understood is that if we're going to get any way where, God has got to help us. Mm. God has got to help us. And so mm -hmm. the church was a part of the struggle because we understood that the church represented spirituality. It's, it's spirituality. It represented the power of God. And so now I agree with you that in the last perhaps several the decade, there has been this, um, maybe this standoff from the church. And, mm -hmm. and, 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 and maybe it's been because the community, uh, those who are involved in this effort, um, feel as if that they can do it without having it to be under the auspices of the church. And if that's the case, that's great. But can I tell you, many of the people that are out there marching are from the church. Mm-hmm. You know, so 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 yeah. you you even though you don't want the leadership to come from the church or the direction to come from uh, religious leaders, you can't have a movement without having mm -hmm. followers. Yeah. The followers come from the church. Mm -hmm. You know, they attend churches. There are people such as yourself who attend churches and ministries. So yes, I I, I think the church is a part even though in some ways we might have been silent as in terms of leading, but I think um, we, I think that, 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 that we shouldn't worry about who gets called out, whose name is called. I think as long as the people are involved, the church is out there. Mm -hmm. As long as you are involved, Kay, the church is a, is a part of it because you you and people such as yourself, you guys are really the church. We are the church. It's not a building, it's people. Yeah. And so if we're out there marching, then the church is involved. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, wow, I didn't expect us to get through this so fast. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not talking a lot. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. Um, wow. It's such a good conversation also. Yes, it is. It is. It is a great conversation. Great, great conversation. And what well, let me ask you this, Kate. Oh, I'm yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I want to ask you this. What, what do you see as a, uh, you're millennial, what do you see as the place of the millennial in this new pandemic, in this pandemic? Because when you look at what's happening now, even with the COVID, the, mm -hmm. the, 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 the people who now we're most concerned about are the millennials, are the younger group, mm -hmm. because though they uh, may not have many of the, um, of the symptoms, they are the greatest carriers now. Yeah. But also, so when you think about the pandemic 
as relates to COVID, the millennials are in the middle. And when you think about the 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 uprising of the the uprising of the of, of racism, the leadership and its direction is coming from the millennials. Yeah. So what do you see as a millennial about your millennial group? Um, with the pandemic, I see that we're definitely the asymptomatic carriers. We're not getting the symptoms, but we are the ones who contract it because we're the ones who don't know how to stay inside and wear masks, wash yes. our hands. Um, yes. So we're the ones who are carrying it back and forth to our families, to friends, anybody who we're around. Um, yeah. I do think millennials and young people, I feel like we can change um, the case numbers and Good. the Good. Um, status of COVID-19 in America if we follow the rules. Because also dealing with race, we are now the new rebels. Like yep. we rebel against the rules. We rebel against the government. Um, so with COVID and race, we're rebelling against what people are telling Whoa. us to do. But with COVID, Correct. if we actually listen, then we'll be the ones to turn everything around. That's good. That's a good point. I love that. Yeah. I love that point. Wow. But with race, um, as I said, we are the new rebels. We're the new revolutionaries because we the, we're the ones who watch the police brutality get worse um, and more in your face on social yeah, media. Yeah. We've watched that. We've grown up with that trauma. We saw Trayvon Martin. We saw Mike Brown. We saw the videos of Philando Castile and now George Floyd. So we're the new revolutionaries who are who is looking up at our elected officials and saying something has to change. It can't keep going on like this. Either you change it willingly or we're going to force you to change it that's why i don't get mad when um like all the looting i wasn't really mad about it because we're the ones who watch right we heard the stories from our great-grandparents some of us like me who were fortunate to have great-grandparents we've heard right. the stories and then we heard the stories from our grandparents we heard the stories of race from our parents. So now we're to the point where we're fed up because it's been almost four generations of this. Um, and now it's our turn. And we're not like we're not like our parents. We're not like our grandparents. We're more out there in your face. If it's if you're not listening to us, we're gonna force you to listen and look at us and hear what we have to say. So I'm, I'm a little, <laughs> I don't know, I'm 50-50 with my generation because sometimes they come up with all these new words and stuff. And I'll just be like, y'all, it's really not <laughs> like you doing too much. You saying too much for a simple phrase. Like it's so many new words that I'm learning every day from social media. But Me too. <laughs> 
but also on the other hand, I'm very proud of us because we are standing up to our elected officials. Now we're demanding more from Joe Biden and his VP elect Kamala, really Kamala Harris. And we're saying to them, here is the black agenda, Joe. You need to look at this black agenda that we've created and listen to us as the people because young people, millennials, we hold, I think my stat said like 31% of the electorate this year, which yeah, is the yeah. highest. We've beaten out um, for the first time millennials and young people are beating out baby boomers and people from Gen X So and Gen Y. So we're the ones with the voice and we're the ones who are out here in the streets and saying, you need to listen to us. This is what we demand and this is what we want to see going forward. And we're really withholding our vote. Well, they're withholding their vote. I'm gonna vote regardless, but um, yeah, right, right. We're actually we demanding. <laughs> we're demanding something for our vote. So we're just the new revolutionaries in this age. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good. 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 And you are. Yeah. You are. Um, in one of your latest sermons, you stated, and I'm just paraphrasing now, that. Okay. The congregants should live the same life inside and outside the church. With When dealing with everything that is happening in today's society, in your opinion, how do people continue to stay safe and carry out their lifestyles in today's world? Well, um, I think every generation ha has had and will have its vices, meaning it has something unique about that generation that another generation may not have. Uh, and so I think every generation, my mother's generation had something uh, that they thought no generation dealt with. And, mm -hmm. and, and my mother's mother has had something that they thought nobody else dealt with. And so each generation has its, unique, its, its uniqueness in terms of challenges and vices and, 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 um, but I believe that though our generations change, that the power of God never changes. Mm -hmm. And that our relationship with Jesus Christ is the same whatever generation you're in. And I believe that whatever generation you're in, the power of Christ in our lives gives us the authority, gives us what we need to cope with it. And so I don't think that um, that because we have all these other things going on, uh, that young people or millennials or, or, or youth cannot live a godly life. They can live a godly life. Uh, 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 you know, the, 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 the generation before us had their stuff. Uh, we had it in my generation. So you can do it. It just takes, it just takes um, I believe, making some decisions in our own personal lives and then inviting Christ to live his life through us, depending upon Christ to help us to do the things that we have to do and not trying to live it apart from him. So mm -hmm. yes, I believe, I believe that our life as a believer can be and should be lived outside of the, out of the church walls. I believe that. Yeah, I believe that too, especially um, 
as somebody who is young and who's been in the church all her life. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of times when I talk about my relationship with God, um, a lot of people, they already know that I have a relationship with him. So it doesn't come as a surprise. But when you see me live my everyday life, um, I wouldn't say it's a surprise to people, but people are just usually like, wow, so you do this, this, and that, and you still have a relationship with God. That's crazy. And I I don't do anything bad, by the way, but yeah, I I just am young. And I think I I try to tell, uh, I don't know, I try to tell my parents a lot because they're both in the church. My dad, he goes to a different church in Charlotte, and my mom, of course, goes to the the connecting place. So I try to tell them, as people who are around younger people, that um, we're different. (laughs) We're different from y'all. We've kind of found this balance of learning how to live our lives as young people and also remaining saved and having unique relationships with God that may be different from y'all, especially because of the age. Like my talks with God are conversations, whereas somebody like you or my mom, it may be like serious prayer, (laughs) like really in depth with God. Whereas when I go to God, it's like, well, God, it's me again. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) But um, so that's what I try to tell them. Like, it's it's different now. We're learning how to balance, how to be those cool kids, but also be those saved cool kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I I agree. I, I, I will agree. I think that this generation... Um, and again, I think every generation is unique in what it brings to, to society. And this generation, your generation, is probably, I said this and I continue to say it, is probably one of the um, less judgmental yeah. generations that, 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 that we've ever had. Because, um, yeah, the, the, you guys live in a judge free zone um, and so when you li- when 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 that's a part of the the, the era uh, you you relate to everybody differently as well as to God mm-hmm. you, you 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 don't see God as some person who's looking to to wipe you out at, at your first sin at your first wrong you, you don't you you don't see uh, that because I've fallen or I fail that now my whole walk with God is over you don't, because you're living in a different era and because how you, you don't operate from a judgment zone, from a judgment zone. Um, and so I think that's, that's one of the great virtues of, of your generation. Now, the flip side of that is not having a judgment zone, if you're not careful, will mean you don't have any boundaries. Mm. That can be a problem. Wow. You know, um, that can be a problem because that's not the reality of life. And that's not the reality of, of existence. Everything has boundaries. Everything has 
boundaries a train with no brakes is an accident waiting to happen mm. so everything has boundaries everything has brakes where there are no boundaries is chaos and so I, I think the flip side of 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 of, of non-judgmental if you're not careful will be the absence of boundaries and that's not reality wow. so i think you got to strike that you got to strike that medium that 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 we learn not to be so judgmental against people but we also have to understand that there are boundaries to living and boundaries as to what i can do and 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 and, and the reason why i shouldn't do it i think that's the that's the that's the bound that's the boundary that 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 the absence of boundaries can create some challenge wow yeah what is your hope for the future as we head into the november elections and with i'm sorry as we head into the November elections with the uncertainty of COVID-19 and with the racial tensions that are still at an all-time high? Well, uh, my hope is that we have personally, and again, I don't speak on behalf of the church. I speak on behalf of myself as a citizen. I'm hoping for leadership change in Washington. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because I think that that a sense of calm, a sense of peace, a sense of um, uh, um, hope has to start from the top. And right now, I don't think we're getting that. I think we're getting everything opposite than that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that whatever happens at the top is felt at the bottom. It's like having a toothache. If you've ever had a toothache, yeah. You've noticed your, your your foot starts to hurting as well because pain travels, pain mm-hmm. travels, you know. So I, I think it's got to start there. That before we even start trying to handle the ills, the pandemic, try to get that under the way, uh, the other uh, the civil unrest, the racism, all those are real. I think we have to have leadership change because leadership change will number one start a new conversation, but number two, leadership change will bring a new perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think that going into November, the first thing we, we need to do is we need leadership change. And from leadership change or through leadership change, I believe in a new perspective, uh, we can now begin to handle and grapple with the racism, which is a, a big thing, as well as the, the COVID pandemic. Yes. Uh, how you were saying boundaries without boundaries, there's chaos. I think mm-hmm. that's what we're seeing in our government right now because mm-hmm. the leader, the president, he doesn't have any boundaries. We see that he's on Twitter, like yep. unlike any other president before him, he's on Twitter. Mm-hmm. He's constantly bashing people. He likes to say things without having guidance before yep. his event interviews he likes to say things also he likes to say things without having any facts and we're seeing that trickle down into his um party where we're seeing senate leaders congressmen and women in his party who are also starting to say things without facts who are also 
not being guided before they go into interviews who are mm-hmm. tweeting and bashing people also. So, oh gosh, <laughs> then it trickles now to it trickles down. Yes. white supremacists who believe in him and yes. believe in his rhetoric. And now we're starting to see that they're outspoken. They're saying things without that. So yep. without yep. boundaries, there is chaos and we're witnessing chaos. it now. Exactly. 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 And 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 the converse side of that is that whatever happens at the top, it will trickle down mm-hmm. and you will see the result in it. In the rest, of, in the rest of the anatomy, in the rest of the body, whatever happens at the top, you sit at the bottom, and you just said that, and that's what we're seeing. So when there is a callous, and there is no taking no thought as to what's said, uh, no no investigation as to information that's put out, when that's not when that's when that's not done at the top, but yet it's uttered. You just said it. Now we see that happening at, at the lower levels of the government. The same thing. That principle is universal. And that's why I believe that it is it is important that we have a leadership change. Mm-hmm. Gosh, we do need a leadership change. I'm hoping and praying that Joe yeah. Biden and Kamala Harris, that they are the leaders yeah. that can change everything and restore the democracy to this nation. Yes. Because yes. what we have right now is not headed in the right direction. No. Not at all. Not at all. But is there, all. is there anything else you would like to say as we end our conversation? Well, I, I'm just so pleased and honored that, uh, that you would allow me to be a part of your uh, interviewees <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, this discussion has been great. And I think you've done a great job articulating your questions and probing and digging uh, like a good journalist does. I think you've done a great job in that. Thank you. And your mom and dad uh, should be proud of you, and I'm sure they are. Uh, as your pastor, I am just double surprised. Not surprised, but double honored, rather. Uh, I'm just, I'm just double honored to, um, I'm just double honored to, um, you know, to, 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 to see what you're doing and to be a part of what you're doing. So I'm saying, go for it. I see you in your future. I like what I see. I do see you in your future. Things are looking a whole lot better. Yes. Oh my gosh. Me and my mom actually said that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I I did an interview for my mom for my first episode ever on this podcast. And we actually said that. (laughs) Um, Said that (laughs) same. And I said it like, you how you do in a pulpit. And you can now touch your neighbor and say things a little <laughs> a lot better. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. But honestly, thank you so much for coming. Um, yeah. Where can the people contact you? Well, I'm here at the Greater Salem, at the Connecting Place at Greater Salem. I'm also on Facebook uh, under Alan G. Porter, A-L-A-N-G Porter. I'm also on uh, Facebook, I mean, uh, Instagram. Alan G. Porter, and I'm also on Twitter, uh, Alan G. Porter. You can hit us up at the church, and that's the connecting place at Greater Salem.
Okay. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but um, I just want to bring this back. You probably don't remember either, but I was a part of the Charlotte Observers. Um, it's like a youth program that they do where they bring in young writers and we get to write an article for them. At the time, mm -hmm. you were um, newly installed to our church. And yes. <laughs> yes. I, I interviewed you. Yes, I remember. Yes. I just got there. Yes. Oh yes. My God. So this is wow. um this is almost wow. like I will say a semicircle, not a full circle yet, because yes. I would like to bring you on when I have my nationally syndicated um radio show. I would like to bring you on to interview you and then that'll be oh a full God. circle. So right now wow. We're just at a semi-circle. We're semi that's right. That's right. Because it's not finished yet. <laughs> at least you're making movement. You're making yes. movement. And that's what oh I remember that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was, yes. I was yes. really yes. young. I think I was oh like my God. I think I was a freshman in high school. And now I'm about to graduate in November. So isn't that something? I'm telling you, look at that. Yeah. Somebody's getting older, it's not me. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting old. <laughs> but last thing, can you close us out in prayer to conclude this sure. conversation? Sure, yes. Lord, this is the day that you've made, and we are rejoicing, and we are glad in it. I thank you, God, for just this day that you've made, and I thank you for conversations with Kay on today. How in-depth, insightful, informative the conversations have been. And Lord, to each person who will view this, who will listen to the content in days to come, in weeks to come, in years to come, I pray that they will be edified and they will be blessed. I pray uh, that those who will listen and view this will find direction and meaning and purpose. I pray that those who view this and listen to this will find hope for another day. Now, Lord, as we leave this setting, we leave this opportunity to share. I ask you to bless those who are listening, to bless Kay. And the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may he give you and each viewer peace in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, this was such a good conversation. I appreciate yes, you coming. Yes, yes, yes. Great. I enjoyed it. I Thank enjoyed you. It. And up next, we'll have the K moment and the positive moment. This is Conversations with K, the podcast. Beautiful.